Welcome to the Absite Smackdown podcast. We'll talk clinical scenarios, Absite facts, and interesting general surgery knowledge. Now, let's get to it. Hey guys, welcome back. It's me, your host, Jess, with Absite Smackdown podcast. With me, Dr. David Kashmir and Dr. Colton Lee. Hey guys. Hi, good afternoon. Hi, Hi. Jessica, Colton. Here we are again. No, back for another one. It just keeps flowing, right? <laughs> yep, yep, they sure do. Hey, now, now that version three is out in the wild, I've got the time. I've got the time. You want to do another one after this? Let's just do three or four more. I'm ready. I have time. Week after week. So our topic is, you know, again, we're just we're in these end crunch times of the upcoming ab site. So just about prep. And as I was preparing for a new blog entry, you know, I have to do some research and went to trusty Google. <laughs> to try and find stuff to write about. And I came across an article on Science Direct and it was a study about the curve for Absite. And as I was reading it, I was like, oh, this could be a good podcast episode. So I sent it to you guys and it seems like you agreed that it'd be a great episode. So that's what we're going to talk about today. Yeah, Jessica, what you sent was uh, just to give the citation and Mm -hmm. uh, hopefully the editors will put it uh, beneath the podcast as a link. Uh, the original report is the surgical knowledge, quote, growth curve, unquote, predicting abscite scores and identifying at-risk residents. And that's from the Journal of Surgical Education, Volume 78, Issue 1. Uh, and this is hot off the press, uh, 2021, pages 50 to 59. There's the citation for everybody at home. I'm interested to hear what y'all think about it. The Absite Smackdown podcast now has a live review. Get your access for the only review conference that works best with your schedule. On call? Can't travel? No time for an expensive hotel room or plane ticket? We've got you covered. Visit AbsiteSmackdown.com and select latest news to learn more and sign up today. You know, actually, <laughs> interesting. Sorry to interrupt. Um, it's an interesting article, and I think that this is really a hot topic in surgical education and has been for a long time, right? Like, how do you evaluate your residents? How do you identify residents that either might not make it through the program or might not make very good surgeons afterwards? Um, and then extrapolating from that, how do you identify people who will be a good resident for you, right? Uh, if you look at what they're looking at, they're looking at the comparison of the AppSite performance to the uh, USMLE scores, the, you know, the patients or the residents gender, they're looking at uh, relationships to, you know, their performance and other things as well. Um, and they had some interesting results I didn't necessarily expect. Yeah, they sure did. You know, they say they modeled uh, their performance uh, and I, that probably means a multiple regression or something similar. And then you, when you build these models, as you guys know, you kind of add in, all the different things you track to see which ones have the, this sort of explanatory power to explain the variance in whatever you're looking at. And here, of course, it was uh, scores. Um, really interesting. They found a couple of things. I'll just go through them with you all almost and uh, read them. 376 score reports from 130 residents. Uh, and the significant uh, sort of predictors or things associated with a higher score, I should say, USMLE score, uh, USMLE 1. USMLE 2, uh, which will be useful. We'll probably get to that in a little bit. Male gender, interestingly, fell out as something that uh, predicted in their residency uh, a a higher score. Uh, The number of practice questions completed also was a significant predictor. 
so I'm interested to hear, and they go on to kind of develop these individual models for how scores or like predictive, almost like a growth curve in pediatrics uh, for where the residents should be. And then they kind of s- just watch to see if the residents follow these curves or fell off. And, you know, they conclude that, uh, you know, those factors we discussed uh, and uh, some of the, uh, they, the pr- factors we discussed were positive predictors of absite performance. So really kind of an interesting uh, article. Yeah, I kind of want to hit on, um, I think you mentioned, right, this was a, a one center. So this was one complement of residents over a period of time. So it might not necessarily represent residents across the country. Um, right. although, but if you've met one surgical resident, you've probably met many of them because we're very similar in, in, in kind of our, our lifestyle and our priorities and things like that and, and where we come from. But the, uh, it's important to recognize that maybe the, this might not be able to re- represent all residents across the country or all programs across the country. Right. I think, I mean, it was MassGen and I think it, you know, it was kind of surprising when I read it that they put in there about the gender, because whether that's true or not, that's usually not something that people are so quick to put out, you know, because it's, we try to be, well, people try to be PC. So that was a little surprising to me that they, you know, put that was their findings. And, you know, it, you have to wonder, is that just, you know, the area of where it's at, you know, being at MassGen or what do you think about that, Dr. K? Were you surprised also or? Some of the factors are really classic ones, uh, like number of questions completed. That seems to be a predictor. Um, you know, we used to use a lot of evidence. Uh, when I was a program director, we had a sort of a, an online library of evidence, textbooks and all kinds of things. And some of the evidence was uh, about the website itself and some of the classic papers. Uh, so, for example, um, boy, I, there's so many to share. There's one about how I, I have my list here, at least some of them. Surgical resident accuracy in predicting their absite score. This is a classic. Actually, it's from 2014. Um, and that paper basically says residents can't predict their own score very well. They pretty consistently predict a higher score for themselves. So that's pretty useful because it allows us to know, okay, we got to disabuse ourselves of where we think we are uh, and how good we think we are. We just got to work. And then some of the other ones are like factors that predict an intern's first absite score are known by September. That's a classic from 2018, um, uh, Al Jamal et al. And this one kind of said, if you did an acute care surgery rotation, you did better on USMLE step one, two, um, those things were associated with a higher performance. Actually, two stints on the ACS service were um, a, a useful intern year tools. So that could kind of help, um, you know, have an intern avoid a bad initial performance. And, you know, the literature goes on and on. And what's so interesting to me is that now we're removing the USMLE in many ways, uh, its predictive power because it's going to pass fail. So as we discuss all this, I'm super curious to hear from Colton. Colton, what do you guys think or what are you doing in your selection process, if anything? Uh, Because when I finished up as a program director, really, we saw this change coming and nobody knew exactly what to do with the USMLE going to uh, pass fail. Any thoughts on it? Well, it's, it's kind of on, on the horizon, right? Like I think this is the last year or maybe one more year where the USMLE will be path, will be a scored test in step one, at least. Yeah. Uh, and we, that's really heavily used, whether it's a good thing or not to, to, you know, identify applicants for a program that, that, you know, to for lack of a better term, weed out some people um, mm-hmm. because you get so many applications for the program. Yeah. Uh, 
Now, the uh, I think that step two is going to become a lot more important, honestly, because uh, it still is going to be a scored test. And and often people, you know, most people have taken step two by the time they apply for, for residency regardless. And uh, some programs that, you know, you may not meet their, their minimum criteria for step one, if you show a great improvement in your step two score currently, then you can still, you know, achieve an interview with them. So I'm, I'm pretty sure that step two is going to going to take a, a more of a role in the forefront of identifying people that for interviews. I think you're exactly right. Uh, I think that, you know, as we lose the ability to use step one, step two is going to become more important. And some of the students I teach are DO students, and they have the ability to decide what they're going to do. Are they going to do the ComSay or ComLex, or are they going to do the USMLE? And I think the, the point now is you're going to have to unlock a good USMLE step two score often uh, to be able to get a surgical a residency interview. I think that's going to be focused on more and more because I'll tell you, just like you said, we had um, for the initial class I recruited for, we were recruiting off cycle. I had to go through 974 applications in about two weeks, and there was no easy way to do that. Uh, they came in as a flood to email uh, from every which direction, unsolicited. Now, of course, we wanted to go through the match. That's what we want to do. But the challenge is uh, when we went through our first cycle with the match, and did everything right, the uh, number of applications we had was remarkable. And um, there has to be some way to use some statistic or series of filters uh, to kind of uh, give applicants a score or give applicants um, some uh, thing that would let them have a higher chance of interview or progress on in the system. And one of the filters we used was uh, board scores because it was well known that a USMLE step one score over a certain threshold was positively associated with eventually passing your boards and these different things. There's a lot of evidence about it. Mm -hmm. uh, so there had to be something, like you said, just because of the sheer number of applicants. And I think the challenge is uh, what's going to happen now that USMLE step one's going to pass fail. So it's interesting to hear what y'all are doing with it. The Absite Smackdown podcast is based on the best-selling review book, Absite Smackdown. The only Absite review with an entire video review course included. Visit AbsiteSmackdown.com and pick it up today. Well, and, and even beyond that, it, it kind of sparks the thought in my head of what, how do you identify a successful surgical resident, right? Is it their Absite score? Um, is it there, how are you going to identify a resident who's going to do well on their boards and be a good surgeon after that, right? Like it's not all about just passing your oral boards uh, and your written boards. It's about taking care of people and doing the right thing. Uh, and so while you obviously need to, to check those boxes, just like you had to check the same boxes with step one and step two in order to get your residency, um, it seems like we're on the, the same route, but I, uh, I think that that surgical education itself is under, going to undergo a revolution in the next, you know, five to 10 years. And, and we're going to stop looking at how many cases you do and start saying, did you do the, a lot in those cases? Did you do those cases well? And were those patients well taken care of afterwards? Um, so I yeah. think Colton, I think you nailed it. Uh, this idea of competency-based training is coming more and more and everyone's wondering, how do we do that? And it can be a separate talk for us because we did try some things uh, when I was with a, a big residency. Uh, we tried some things there. And then when I was a program director for residency, we tried some competency-based things there too. 
Um, and like you said, really a lot of it centers around what makes a good surgeon. There have been addresses to the college about what makes it. There's a ton of literature, which we had in our resident library, what makes a good surgeon, what makes a good surgeon 21st century, what makes a good surgeon uh, in this climate uh, that healthcare is in. And there's a lot of thought on it. And, you know, trying to utilize an in-service uh, training exam or something else to uh, get at that is super hard. I think you're right. I think it's going to go from a volume-based model to a competency-based model, and everybody's hunting for that. So it's been really interesting to kind of participate in that and kind of help roll out some of the different, uh, this, some of the different techniques to get to competency-based training. Um, it's, been, it's been really useful, and I think it's going to happen more and more. You're right. I think we'll look back at this podcast in a couple of years and be like, oh, all the answers to our questions. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I'll tell you, Jess, when I talk with the other um, chairs of surgery from the other medical schools around uh, and um, the other associate deans, uh, one of my roles is, is associate dean of simulation. So I have to help run a sim center. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we kind of simulate to competency uh, a lot of the different procedural things. And everyone is talking about what Colton said pretty consistently, which is how do we get it competency and evaluate it? And how are we going to do that in the future? Uh, especially when training hours, although there's evidence training hours does not change volume. Um, there's still some thought on wouldn't uh, value or competency be better than volume. And uh, I think things are going to get there more and more. Uh, like Colton said, you're right. The next couple of years, we're going to look back on this and uh, and look at this podcast very differently. Right. Well, this is really a good, I, I'm glad I found this one, but I think that just this conversation has brought up what we should do for our next podcast. So <laughs> I think we already know now. So. <clears throat> well, I'm also curious, uh, Colton, just before I know it's our time's almost done. I know Jess is going to wind us up. But I'm curious, uh, as much as you can share, about how you guys evaluate uh, prospective surgical residents, students who come to you, because I think there'd be some value for the listeners out there and people who listen to the podcast. What do you all think makes a good surgical resident now? And just as importantly, what are the mechanics you guys use to select somebody now? I know you can't share everything and how the sausage is made, but just uh, you know what, what you can tell us about how you select people for your surgical residency. Right. And so I've, I've been involved in a couple of different programs uh, throughout my residency. And I've, I've had a couple of different program directors and I've talked extensively with people about kind of what they think uh, makes a good applicant. Right. Uh, I've also been involved in interviewing residents uh, or potential residents in the future. It comes down to, you have to find a way to weed through the pile of people and narrow it down. Um, you have to admit, uh, you know, hit the bare minimum requirements in order to, to really just kind of make it to the next step. Um, we've had exceptional residents with very, you know, average scores. We've had people with very high scores that may not even be an exceptional resident because they're lacking in other areas. So it's about getting that interview, um, and then showing that you can check the boxes and that you're committed to a career in surgery and that you've had exposure to, to the appropriate things. Um, and then it's about a fit, right? Like you find people that you want to spend 80 hours a week with. Uh, and there's some things that, that we look at outside of just the, the bare metrics. We, uh, it's important in some programs and a lot of programs to make sure that we have a nice, diverse uh, team that we work with. Uh, and so I know of programs that actually look through applications that don't meet their minimum requirements. 
uh, for an interview and they pick some people out and those people uh, who for one reason or another bring something to the table, whether it's because of, you know, their background, their ethnicity, or if they're a member of a minority group like the LGBTQIA, uh, of, you know, population, then those people are, are actually the strongest members of our team because they've had to fight to get where they're at. And so it's been very satisfying to be involved in that process as well. Yeah. I hear what you're saying. And I agree with you about that upfront filter process that needs to be reasonable. And then, as you say, some way, uh, and this is what I tried for when I helped build a selection process, some way to select for someone who will fit in the residency in that particular culture. And then also um, sort of almost like a point system, like bonus points for what they're involved in, uh, you know, what their background is, whether that be their social ideas or um, their, you know, cultural background, whatever it is. So it became almost like a, a, a points system all the way around with different things given for uh, different uh, items or categories or what the residency needed at any given time. If it needed someone who was more into research or uh, less into research or something like that. So uh, wherever you've seen that, I think you've seen some uh, really useful, uh, good systems uh, to select people uh, who will make for a good residency and hopefully good future colleagues for sure. My advice from a resident side, right. As a former applicant, um, it will not hurt you to send an email during interview season to a program that you're interested in and say, Hey, I'm from the area. I have family here, or, you know, I'm really passionate about what you're doing in your program. And I would love the opportunity to either be a part of it or check out what's going on. Um, and it, it might make you stand out in a applicant pool that otherwise uh, you may not. The Absite Smackdown podcast, bringing you the best of your Absite review. You know, I'll tell you, Colton, um, I got it uh, from people and they did make a difference. Um, It would make me say, hey, let me just look at that person and see what numbers they have. Can they get through our first filters? Uh, And it it put them on my radar. Um, We also liked it when we knew people or when they were a known quantity. Uh, So there is a value to away rotations or knowing the residents who are there currently. Uh, And, you know, of course, if someone were friends with somebody, uh, we would kind of try to, you know, have them sort of abstain from voting, but at the same time, they could tell us more about the applicant, and we would allow that. Uh, so everybody's all over the map with uh, what they uh, do, uh, but I would just share that um, there is some value to being a known quantity to a residency. Of course, we followed all the match rules or very strict requirements about things, but being a known quantity is useful. Uh, you're not really allowed to communicate exactly with candidates around the match. But I would receive all these unsolicited emails and uh, different things like that. People would somehow find a way to get in touch. Uh, programs, as, as we said, though, have strict match rules for what they can and can't say to you. But I'll share that I did get them. And when I got them, uh, you would you kind of wonder to yourself, oh, okay. And if you saw that candidate's name again, you, know, you couldn't help but have seen it once before. Uh, but again, I want to be clear that uh, we followed all the match rules and, and there are specific things you can and can't do. Uh, That said, uh, there is a value to uh, knowing the particulars of a residency, what it looks for, uh, who's there already and kind of their background. And and if you do know someone in a residency, uh, there is a a value to that because they they know you better. They know what you might bring. All right, guys. Well, thank you so much. I hope all those listeners out there got some helpful hints. Um, We'll put the link to the articles down below so that you can look for yourself. But 
you know, thanks for tuning in. And don't forget, hashtag Absite Smackdown. Get more Absite content in your daily routine. Visit us on Instagram at daily.absite.fact, on Facebook at Absite Smackdown, or LinkedIn at Absite Smackdown. And you can catch the podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or any place you listen to your favorites. Don't forget our YouTube channel, Absite Smackdown. <laughs>